Hello and welcome to another episode of That's What People Do. You are joined by me, Ryan McGowan, and as always, James Kay. How are you doing, buddy? I'm very well, thank you, Ryan. How are you on this fine, fine October's day? I'm good, and I'll be honest with you, I am quite enjoying this whole new way of doing things with the Zoom call. I really don't understand how we've got through an entire fucking pandemic where everyone was using Zoom and Teams and stuff, and we've decided in mid-October 2022 that we're going to start doing it. Yeah, well, it's because we don't follow any trends, right? As soon as everyone stopped using it, we'll start. I I feel thick that we haven't done this before, like genuinely thick. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But But here we are. Here we are. well, yeah, so where are we? Uh, let's see. Well, um, first of all, just wanted to say we've had an overwhelming response from our last episode with Gina, the first guest we've ever had on the show. Um, so many people that have listened to it have come out and said they absolutely love it. And, you know, props to Gina for being a fantastic first guest. Hmm. Um, we massively enjoyed it. It is something that we would look to do more in the future. Um, we was also just checking uh, the survey for merch and we've had quite a few responses and some of them have been absolutely fantastic um there are some good ideas some really really good ideas on there so um yeah look forward to maybe seeing some of those on the merch store um probably soon uh, in the run-up to christmas um oh yeah give yeah. people presents to buy yeah exactly yeah we've got to give people some good presents to get so yeah there's gonna be things on merch store coming up soon but make sure please you are keep doing the survey Tell us what you would like to see on some merch, on a shirt, on a jumper, on a hat, whatever it is, and we will try uh, to get it on there as quick as possible. We want you guys to have as much say as possible um, with sort of how the show runs. Um, So yeah, thank you very much for all the responses we've had so far. Uh, I'd also like to just clarify, if I am sounding echoey, I am in a different room than I usually am, and it is not very good for audio. So if you can hear an echo, I do apologise, but uh, yeah, just bear with me. So, where are we? We are doing today an episode on a guy called Mick Philpot. So, should we just get straight into it? Well, yeah, it feels like ages since we last did just a a normal episode but then i was looking at our our stuff that just literally just before we started this and it hasn't been that long i think alan turing was our last one but it feels it just feels like a while yeah alan turing was the last one and it does it's i think it's because we've had like we had a with uh, we normally have now i think it's become quite the standard two weeks between episodes just because we're busy and time takes time to write these and my my episodes, it makes life a lot easier yeah the, the, all the episodes are getting longer as well so yeah it makes more sense um so we're here. So let's let's start. Um, let's enjoy. Now it's four thirty a.m. on May the eleventh, two thousand and twelve. Neighbor Jamie Butler wakes up hearing commotion outside of his window. He looks over at his drawn curtains and can see an orange hue pour over the top of them. He goes over and opens the curtain and is shocked to see opposite number eighteen Victory Road aflame. He shouts to his brother Darren that Mick Philpott's house is on fire and they need to go and help. Now they ran across the street and were met with a wall of flame at the front of the house. There was no way they would get through the front door. At the side of the house is a caravan blocking the way round to the back of the house. They climb over and are met with Mick Philpott and his wife Maraid in the garden. Mick is on the phone calling 999. Jamie asks Mick Where are the kids? Mick cries that they're in the back bedroom and he can't get to them. 
Jamie climbs the ladder that was, at the, that was at the wall at the back of the house and he looks through the broken glass to the bedroom where the kids are, but he's met with a wall of smoke so thick, quote, it was like putting your mouth around a car exhaust. There was no way he was going to get in. He looks for another way in, trying to go through the kitchen and conservatory, which is at the back of the house. But the living room in front is also aflame and blocking the only access to the stairs. Jamie can't do a thing. At this point, the fire brigade shows up. They manage to get themselves into the house through the front door. They too are met with a deadly black smoke, but push on. No doubt, sweat dripped down their faces in their protective masks as they slowly and methodically make their way to the top of the stairs and enter the first room where they find 10-year-old Jade unconscious in her bed. She's carried out and laid on the pavement where paramedics desperately try to revive her. Back inside, the firefighters move on and bravely pull out of the burning house five more children who are all still in their beds, the smoke having got to them before the flames could. All six children were rushed to hospital, but it was too late for 10-year-old Jade and her four brothers, John, age nine, Jack, age seven, Jesse, six, and Jaden, five. The smoke had killed them. They died in their sleep. Their older brother, Dwayne, age 13, was still alive, but barely. He was taken to a specialist children's hospital in Birmingham, where he was put into intensive care. But unfortunately, two days later, he too would slip away like his five siblings. Now, to suffer the loss of one child is a tragedy, but to lose six is something that I imagine not many people have lived through. But for Mick and Mairead Philpot, it was their reality. An investigation revealed that the fire had originated just behind the front door and that petrol had been used as an accelerant. Immediately, the police suspected that someone may have poured petrol through the letterbox of the house that started the fire. The police looked into Mick's ex-mistress Lisa Willis, who had left them some months ago, taking with her their five children. She was quickly ruled out. Now, an investigation was opened to find out who had started the fire that had taken the lives of six children. Mick asked the police if he could hold a press conference, which they obliged. Mick sat wearing a plain white t-shirt, dog tags around his neck and his handlebar moustache well kept, strands of blonde hair in it implying he made diet, along with his wife and mother of the children, Maraid, her red curly hair framing her face as she clenched her eyes together, unable to look up at the press sitting opposite. As the cameras flashed, the room went quiet as Mick began to talk. Removing a tissue from his face, wiping away tears that appeared not to be there, he started by thanking three of his older children for their support over the last couple of days. He thanked the neighbours who helped and the emergency services who risked their lives to save the children. He announced a decision that the organs of their eldest son, Dwayne, would be donated in the hope that it would save another child. He then asked that the press leave the family alone and then on to respect their privacy. Mick and Maraid are led away by the police officers. The nation that watched were left with mixed feelings. Some felt for the parents who had tragically lost their children. 
Others watched the press conference and felt that something wasn't quite right with Mick. Something was off about the whole thing. But the one thing almost everyone asked themselves when watching this press conference was, where do I recognise this guy from? Now, James, you've watched that press conference. What did you think uh, just off the bat before we get into the actual story? What did you think of it? I mean, I, I didn't question where do I know him from. That wasn't something that came to my my mind. I don't feel like I recognised his his face at all. Um, I thought it was weird. I thought the way he went about the the whole speech. It's just two what two two and a half minutes of just him talking solidly, mm. and it just it sounded incredibly scripted. Um, it's almost like you know when you win an award, like I'd like to thank so and so so and so. That's sort of how he went about it. Um, he had he had all the the, the classic tells of a grieving father. I guess who was holding it together remarkably well. Um, something did seem off, yeah. Mm. So, who is this man that we all recognise but can't remember where from? Well, meet Mick Philpot, born in 1956 in Derbyshire, and that's about it for an early life. He's seemingly an unremarkable person, and not much seems to be known about his early life. But having watched an entire documentary on the history of Derby. For that, you are welcome. I learnt that Derby is one of the oldest cities in the world, in the UK, sorry, having been around in some form for nearly 2,000 years. Now, obviously, that's not necessarily relevant to Mick Philpot right now, but what I was trying to do is get a sense of the place that Mick would have grown up in and what it was that his family might have done. Now, Mick is from a working class background. And since the two biggest industries in Derby in the mid-20th century were the railways and a huge Rolls-Royce factory, it's likely that Mick's family would have worked in some form of manual labour job. But that's just an assumption. I don't really know anything else about his early years, because all sources seem to pick him up when he's 19 years old. I mean, just to jump in, I think it's very impressive that you sat through a History of Derby documentary. That... No, no one asked you to do that, but you did it for us. So thank, thank <laughs> do you. That's even better. I wouldn't recommend that to anyone. What's even better is now that we're on Zoom, I could see that you're just chuckling away to yourself at that. I was like, yeah. I mean, fair play to you. You you put it in the hours. Um, yeah. This is why your episodes are well researched. I wouldn't have even thought to have done that. And if I did, after five minutes, it would have gone off. <laughs> it genuinely was quite interesting. Um, but anyway, to carry on, Mick has signed up to the army and is in basic training when he meets 15-year-old Kim Hill. They strike up a relationship, and Kim describes Mick when they met as being cocky and confident, and the kind of person that gave her butterflies in her stomach. But just as a quick aside here, right, I can't imagine it would be too hard for a 19-year-old boy to woo a 15-year-old child, because by simply being 19 and older, you have the edge. How... It's also against the law, but <laughs> yeah, that that's very much against the it's law. It's very much against the law. But James, I don't know if I've told this story on the pod before. Um, oh, when God. I was in year seven, now bear in mind, in year seven in the UK, if you're not from here, um, you're 11 or 12. Are you about to reveal some sort of repression no, trauma? No, this is not me. Okay. Um, <laughs> but there was a girl who was one of the oldest in the year. So by the time it come near to like, I suppose she's near like 13 or something, but she had a boyfriend right, yeah. who was 20. Yeah, that's unacceptable. He needs to be in prison. Yeah, 
And I remember like she was bragging about it and everyone was like, oh, she has a boyfriend. Oh, she's got a boyfriend. Oh, he's older. He drives. And it's like, right. Okay. Yeah, that's so fucked. Did anyone actually meet this guy? Uh, No. Or see no. him? Yeah, but then it stands every chance. One, that couldn't, might, probably isn't happening. Or two, this guy is an absolute fucking loser mm. who can't get with anyone his own age, so has to go for children. Yeah. Like, if you can't find a partner who is of your own generation, there's probably something wrong yeah. with you. Just, if you're going to do it, go older. Go, like, proper older. Mm. When they're, they're looking for companionship as well, and that's not illegal. People might look at you weird, but you're not going to go to prison. Yeah. Um, so it wouldn't take long for the charming Mick to turn controlling. He would impose a curfew on Kim, and when she was late, he would become violent. Now, unfortunately, this would go on to become a classic case of domestic violence. Mick would go from being violent and attacking Kim to crying and becoming emotional, trying to change the narrative, promising he would never do it again. You know, the, the usual stuff. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Proper gaslighting. Proper gaslighting. Now, another quick PSA for my dear listeners. If your partner gets physical with you and then blames you for it, claiming that they'll never do it again, please go and talk to someone. I know it's hard to get out of, and sometimes you don't even see it when you're in it, but I'm promising you this now. It is not normal for your partner to hit, abuse, or gaslight you. So if any of these things are happening in your relationship, I would seriously consider going to speak to someone and asking what they think. Of course, obviously, like, physical abuse is the main one, and that's quite easy to to know when that's happening to you. But also, like, emotional abuse, as you said, gaslighting, it's sometimes you don't even know it's happening. But if you're being made to be the sort of the bad guy in every situation, but you're the one feeling shit, that's also a form of abuse, isn't it? Emotional Absolutely. abuse. Absolutely. Now, domestic abuse, unfortunately, is this thing that lingers over this whole story, like a, a fart in an elevator. It's not very nice. It's always there. Um, and hmm. one thing I found out when doing research for this episode is that violence is not necessarily the most common thing in it, when it comes to a domestic abuse relationship. It is, as you said, it's the, the mental and emotional abuse um, it's things like controlling the finances of the other partner. Um, th- those yeah. things are what are like the most common now rather than the physical things. Mm. Um, but yeah, that's why I kind of wanted to say that. Like, I'm not telling you to get out of the relationship because that's, it's not, it's easier said than done. What I'm asking is if you are in a relationship, if anything sort of rings any bells for you, go speak to a friend, go speak mm. to your parents or family or whatever. Just, you know, anyway. There's a Netflix series called Made, which is quite a short series. Really, really good. It's about domestic abuse, but it handles it really well. I'd highly recommend it to Mm, everyone. Interesting. Now, Kim would be stuck in this relationship for near two years. All the while, Mick would continue to beat, slap, kick and punch his teenage victim. Uh, Sorry, I'm interrupting myself again. In watching the majority of the documentaries... Uh, for like this story they almost always describe her as his girlfriend and it's like no she is a teenager she is a victim there is no yeah, there's no of way of putting this any other way she is a child um sorry because that just mm. it just wound me up like when i was just watching this and it's like when you hear what he does to her and it's like yes because she's a fucking child and he is an adult and he's abusing yeah, 15. her Ugh. yeah anyway He threatens her all the time. He's telling her what would happen to her should she ever decide to leave him. And then the beatings become more of a public 
thing. So in one instance, they're in the pub and he's playing pool. And he swings the thick end of a snooker cue at her face, busting her lip open. And not a single person in that pub did anything about it. And instead, she was just she just had mm. to sit there in silence, in pain. And that that yeah. infuriated me as well when I was uh, reading her accounts of what happened. And she's saying like, this pub was full, loads of blokes just in this pub. He smacks me around the face and she's looking around just thinking, would please someone help me? And they're all just looking at it, being like, no, it's what it is. I dare say that's true in most walks of life, isn't it? No one really wants to step into business that's not theirs. I remember I was in Disneyland once and this kid was fucking crying, like, like really, really crying. And the dad went up to the kid and just fucking slapped it like straight across the face. And fair play to the people around, like everyone got involved. But this, this dad fucking whacked this kid. Wow. That's crazy. At Disneyland as well. At Disneyland, the most magical place in the world, and your dad smacks you. Yeah, you're abusing you. your children. Oh, God. It's not Don't what... have kids if you've got a short temper. <laughs> it's not what Mickey would want. Mickey wouldn't want this. Yes, he would Spe- not. No. He's got, big hands. he's got big hands for it, though, hasn't he? Like, he's got hands for a You'd spanking. feel it if Mickey slaps you. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, anyway, <laughs> that's probably not appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, at its worst... Mick would bite her, he would break her cheekbones and her fingers. In fact, he once broke her arm and even took a hammer to her kneecap. Jesus fucking Christ, man. I know. Now, since Mick is training in the army at this point in his life, he accuses her of cheating constantly and even starts going AWOL just to check on her. Now, after two years, Kim finally musters up the courage to leave him and holds herself up in her parents' house. But you don't say no to Mick. He waits outside of her house until her dad leaves. In the evening, when he goes to work, Mick breaks into the house and begins a frenzied attack on Kim as she lays in bed asleep. Mick stabs her 27 times, perforating her lungs, her liver her kidneys, her bladder, and her bowel. Her mother runs into the room to help save her daughter, but Mick turns the knife on her, stabbing her 11 times in the back as she tries to escape. Good Lord. Mick then goes to finish the job, plunging the knife into Kim's stomach and pulls it down, ripping her open. Fucking gee... Ooh. Uh-huh. This took a turn. I didn't. I, I didn't. I, I know vaguely what this episode is about, but I didn't expect all this. No, no, neither did I when I started researching it because I was like, I knew this guy was a bad dude because this was a big story in the UK when, like, what was it, ten years ago? Science. So when I'm like eighteen, maybe. Um, yeah. And I knew this was a big story back then, but I didn't realize how deep this could get and how brutal his no, this man is. Wow. Now the neighbors listening to the commotion call the police. When the emergency services arrive at the scene. They, did, they found Mick sitting on the stairs with the knife still in hand. Spotting the paramedic, he said, quote, I wouldn't bother. She's a goner. I've done a good job on her. Like, he's full on Jack, like, it's full on Jack the Ripper-esque. Mm, yes, what, what's the word? You disembowel them? You basically disemboweled her. Now, luckily for Kim and her mother, they would both survive this horrific ordeal. What? Yeah. How have they... What the fuck, man? She's been stabbed, what, 27 times and it ripped her stomach open? Lungs, stomach, kidneys, 
bow. And she's surviving. Yeah, she survives, yeah. They would That's both, incredible. Yeah. Although Kim would bear the scars of her life-changing injuries for the rest of her yeah, life. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, but but fu- I'm, I'm shocked. I thought I she'd have been dead there I and then. I know. Um, Mick, on the other hand, would be arrested and charged with attempted murder. For almost completely disemboweling his teenage victim, guess how long he's sentenced to prison for? Oh, it's... What year are we in, Sorry. Uh, it's like 1980-something. No, 1970-something, I think. Attempted murder. It should. It's going to be shockingly low, isn't it? I'm going to go 15 years. Uh, Mick is sentenced to seven and a half years. Right, okay, for fucking disemboweling someone. Yeah, for practically disemboweling his uh, teenage victim. He would be out of prison in four. What the fuck, man? It's clear this man's unstable. Yeah. He, would he have got more if she actually died? <laughs> well, probably the 15. <laughs> That's that's mental. I know. Nah, that's that's unacceptable. I know. It's absolutely bizarre. I cannot imagine a world where that's a thing. <laughs> now, at this point, you'd hope that no woman would ever go near this man again, but that's not the mm. case. In just a few short years, Mick would be married to his first wife, Pamela Lomax, in 1986. They would go on to have three children together. But becoming a dad would not temper this vile man. His violent behaviour makes his way into this relationship. He abuses Pamela constantly. She, like many others in her situation, lives in fear of leaving him, especially after being constantly threatened that the same thing would happen to her that happened to Kim. Oh, so she knew. Wow, you'd have have thought maybe he'd used it. Now, Pamela lives in hope that he will one day become bored of her and leave. Her wish is realised, but at the cost of another. In 1995, 37-year-old Mick begins an affair with Heather Coey. She is 14 years old. Right, get this man in prison immediately. (laughs) Yeah. Once she turns 16, she flees her family home to live with Mick, and very soon after goes on to have two sons in quick succession. Now, the problem is, Mick already has sons from his previous marriage. He wants girls. So using his big brain, he decides he's going to make Heather pay for something she cannot control and goes on to beat Heather on the constant because apparently Mm. it's her fault. Right, okay. She frequently had black eyes, which she would explain away as having hit the door, having fallen over, etc., etc., If you have used that excuse, you know something's wrong. Yeah. Now, on one occasion, she claims that she's homesick and wants to go back home. But instead, she's pinned down to the floor and told that that's never going to happen. In fact, oftentimes after they'd argue, Mick would lock Heather outside in the garden until he wants her back in the house. And sometimes during the winter, she would be found huddled around the outside toilet just to try and stay out of the elements. It's just, it's just demeaning, isn't it? I don't understand how he keeps getting away with this. How is he getting away with dating 14-year-olds? Well, that's the thing, isn't it? Uh, well, yeah, well, yeah, even that. It's like, 90, it's 95. It's mad. It's definitely illegal. I dare, listen, I, this is probably wrong of me to say, considering what I will go on to talk about later, because I will defend, this, not defend, but I'm, it doesn't matter. My point being is, you know how, like, they say, 
people in like the seventies, eighties, and nineties they grew up quicker. Like they look older. They're yeah, like yeah, eight, yeah. they're like eighteen, but some of them they look thirty. And like, how mm-hmm. many people's parents had you at the age of like twenty three? And yet I'm twenty eight, and I'm like just about to have a car. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know what I mean, like, I, can, yeah. I, I can't necessarily function as an adult just yet. Yeah. And I'm like, my mum had nearly three kids by this point, I think. Um, yeah. How old am I? Tw- my mum had had both me and my brother by the, my age. Yeah. So like, not only do you, may, maybe it's a case of she looked older, so people assumed she was older. And if you never asked her age, you wouldn't know. But also, I'm going to go out on a limb here. And this is, like I say, this is where it's probably a bit offensive. I think people from working class backgrounds tend to look older than they actually are. They're more weathered, some would say. Yes, I think that's a, a, as politically correct way as we can put it. Yes, more weathered. Yeah. Um, I actually had to, I actually, in preparation, like in research for this, I actually watched another documentary about this, Where Have All the Chavs Gone? <laughs> How many documentaries do you watch per episode? I'm genuinely I, a, a interested. Lot, a, a lot, genuinely a lot. Because I also go down rabbit holes and I'm like, oh, this is interesting. I'll watch that and all. And then so I get lost. you just sit down for like an hour documentary? Oh, at least a day. Just documentary after documentary and just writing That's mad. stuff down and then checking it all afterwards, making sure it makes sense and that it's correct. And then, then I start collating it all and putting it together. I mean, we commend you for your work, but this is mm. why it takes so long to write an episode. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, sorry, carry on. I'm, I'm, I'm going off on a tangent. Now, one night, Heather is locked out of the house in the garden, as she usually hears when they've had an argument, and she decides at this point that enough is enough. She climbs over the garden fence, leaving her sons in the house, and she runs to the police station. She manages to get out of that relationship, and what followed would be a lengthy custody battle for her kids, which Mick would lose, fortunately. Yeah, thank fuck. The kids stayed with Heather, and he would never see any of them again. Good. Well done, Heather. Well done, Heather. <clears throat> now, in the year 2000, 44-year-old Mick meets and begins a relationship with 19-year-old Mairead Duffy. Hmm. At least she's legally an adult at this point. Does he have, like, great charisma or something? How How is he doing this? Well, we'll get on to that. If we are also, uh, listeners, you're sensing a theme here. Mick likes young girls. Because Apparently. he's a... He's a vicious predator. Maraid is a single mother of one. She'd just come out of a very abusive relationship and saw Mick as a guardian angel, someone who might give her the stability that she was looking for, for herself and her baby. She had no idea the kind of man that she would be giving herself to. Um, it seems to be he had a council house, because he's from the north. Uh, he had a council house, Um and he obviously met Marae, single mother, recently out of a relationship that was somewhat abusive. And he mm. has said all the right things that she wants to hear. I will look after you. I have a council house. You can move in with me. We'll look after the kids. Like, it'll be fine. And as a 19-year-old girl who has virtually no stability. Yeah, she's going to jump at that. You're going to jump it. And I think that's the I think that's the key to his relationship stuff it's not right okay that he has charisma it's that he has a few things to offer to people in a vulnerable state yeah yeah which is why Fair. he's a pre- it's why he's a predator mm-hmm. now in the year oh where was i <laughs> now um it it wouldn't take long before Maraid was pregnant and gave mick their first child together Maraid was totally in love with mick she did not want to lose him which is likely the reason as to why she went along with what comes next. 
By 2001, only a year since he'd started a relationship with Maraid, Mick's eye begins to wander, and it had found an interest in a woman named Lisa Willis. Now, actually, um, I ought to rephrase that again. Uh, he found interest in a child named Lisa Willis. I thought as much. The 44-year-old had striked up a relationship with a 17-year-old. Yep. Yeah. Now, Lisa was to a single mother, and Mick had soon invited her to move into his council house alongside Maraid and his ever-growing brood. Not wanting to lose what she deems to be a security blanket, she agrees to let Mick have this happen. Now, Mick also proposes that Lisa become his mistress on the side and that they all live together. And Maraid agrees to this. But I'm going to go out on a guess here and assume that she initially said no because in 2001, when the whole Lisa thing started kicking off, Mick and Maraid get married and Lisa is her bridesmaid, but she's also his mistress, right? Mm. And they're all living in this house together. Now, yeah. I, I think that Maraid was initially hesitant and said no to having Lisa move in and be his uh, bit on the side. But I reckon mm. Mick done this thing where he's like twisted it so she can't lose him. But he's also said, look, I will marry you and Lisa will never match up to you. She will only ever be a thing on the side. She won't be my wife. You will be my wife. I reckon that's why she went along with it because she knows she needs him. Yeah, I suppose if you are madly in love with this person, they are your sort of, you have nothing without them. Mm. You are you are likely to say yes. It's a shame for her, but it I is. understand the reasons, I guess. And I would also like to point out at this point, during the wedding, Lisa is pregnant with one of Mick's children. Good Lord. I know. This guy's an animal. Not in a good way. Like not in a funny way. Like, no. Well done, lad. Now, Mick would purchase a caravan that would live at the side of his house. This would act as his sex den, where on alternate nights, Mick would take one of his, quote, wives, as he called both of them, and, quote, service them. That's a nice way of putting it, isn't it? I... Where's that quote from? <laughs> That's his quote. <laughs> service them, yeah, right. He, he would say that he'd bring them in, he'd service them. Um, because that's, that's, um, that's how women like to be referred to when you make love to them. They like to be serviced. They're like a, he's treating them like a car. You sort of take it in, get it serviced and then. Yeah, he's changing the fluids and everything. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, they, this man's a, a prick is for want of a better word. Yes. Now, two women in the household and a growing number of kids did not temper Mick. He was still violent, in particular towards Lisa on one occasion, taking a plank of wood and hitting her with it. Now, Mick needs to be the one in control. It's why he seeks out vulnerable women. He gives them a roof over their head and the idea of stability. In return, the women feel indebted to him, and you know that he definitely uses that against him if they ever stray out of line. He is the king of his castle. He controlled everything and did nothing. In fact, both Maraid and Lisa had to work part-time jobs as well as look after the kids and all the money was controlled by Mick. Mick... Did he work? Well, Mick, however, didn't have a job. Mick hmm. was claiming benefits, saying he was unable to work. 
Would you yeah. like to know his reasons for saying he oh. couldn't work? What is it? He used the fact that he had a criminal record, but he would never go on to explain what that criminal record detailed because it was the disembowelment of a fucking teenager. I mean, yeah, but there's things out there that help criminals get jobs. There's literal things in place to... Yeah, um, absolutely. He's lazy, lazy bastard. Yeah. He's living off his two women in the state. Exactly, exactly what he's doing. Um, in fact, in one of a documentaries that he... Uh, uh, appears on before this whole thing kicked off he even says he's like oh i can't get a job because i have a criminal record which you know i'm still paying for now apparently if i'd if that had happened if it had happened in france i'd have got off scot-free and that's what he's referring Are you allowed to disembowel people in france that's the thing and i'm like that's what you're referring to but because you know no one else knows this like but you know it and you're saying that so he's making the claim that he reckons if he'd been in france he would have been able to do that absolutely horrendous attack on uh on young kim and her mother and he would have walked away scot-free like i don't know yeah I don't, i'm not sure about that one mick <laughs> mick <laughs> now by 2007 Mick had 16 children altogether. Nine of them living with his two wives. Why is it, right, that the people that really shouldn't be breeding and that we don't need their offspring in the world are the ones that breed the most? I mean, careful, James. It's starting to get a bit uh, a bit difficult uh, because there's a whole there, there, there was this whole thing in, in, around, in and around this time where it was saying, if you can't afford to have kids, you shouldn't be having kids. And then there were some people that were having kids because they got benefits out of it. They got more money. They got child support. They got homes. And it's what Mick was doing. But Mick is taking it to the absolute extreme with having like 16 kids. And the 16 is too many. It, you can't, you can't, the, you don't have a duty of care for those kids then, surely, because you can't, you physically can't care for these children. Well, that's the thing. Mick would constantly say, that like, well, was my life, I live it how I want. But then lots of people in interviews at the time were saying, yeah, okay, but there's only so many kids that we think the state should be paying for. If you want to continue to have kids, you should be able to provide for them. Yeah, you can't be on benefits and bang out these children. It just doesn't work. Which is difficult because like, this is, I suppose, where our opinions in this would really start to come out, where we like to think utopian-like. Where it's like, oh, it should be to, you should be able to have what you want and do what you want. But at the same time, there is that bit of me now that genuinely does think if you can't afford to have your own kids, you probably shouldn't be having them. I also think some people aren't intelligent enough to have children. That's a bit. Uh, <laughs> that's a- now. This is just me and my my out there opinions. But do you ever meet those people and you're like, fuck? I hope you don't have kids. Yeah, yeah. We all do it. We all do it. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I know. I know people like that. And you think, God, both because you don't want the people of that same sort of if they have outrageous viewpoints, you don't want more of them in the world. And also these people will not care for these children because they're fucking idiots. Mm. Yeah, it's just not fair on the kid. It's like you don't get a dog if you're not going to take care of the dog. What scares me is like how easy it would be to go from that to back when like we used to sterilize people whose IQ was under a certain amount. Yeah, of course, we can't be doing that. We can't be doing that. You can have as many kids as you want, but I just ex- just fully expect me to be like, mm, you look stupid. Mm, mm. Um, I didn't realise we used to sterilise people. That's pretty much Yeah, well, it was a big thing in America. If your IQ was like under something, you were classed as um, this. I'm not using the word. It's literally how it was referred to. You were, quote, retarded, um, and hmm. you would be sterilised. You didn't reproduce. 
That's mental. I know. That happened in America, and I believe it happened in the UK too. Really? That is fascinating. It's very Nazi-esque, isn't it? Yeah, you want like superior, superior people. But then I also do think that it comes down to the individual, but you need to make ensure that you can look after these children. Mm. Otherwise, no, like you just because most of these fucking people we talk about on this podcast, all of their childhoods have been fucked, and it's because their parents have been completely incapable of looking after them. So if you're not in a position to have children, and you have one anyway, or have sixteen in mixed case, the chance of you traumatizing that child, and therefore that child's going to then go on and do bad things, is quite high. Yeah, no, I agree. You're there. Now, as I was saying, Mick has sixteen children altogether. Nine of them live with him and his two wives in their three-bedroom council house. Yeah, see, that's that's that should be illegal. That's not. It's not safe. It's not sanitary. Now, uh, Mick actually brings that up in one of the documentaries that he appears in, saying, uh, "How is that? How is it? How is it acceptable or safe that the Derby Ca- Derbyshire County Council will allow so many people to live under one roof? We're basically cramped and all this, blah blah blah." And they're in a bit of a weird rut where they're like, well, but you're doing it to yourself. Is right? he expecting them to like give him a 16-bed mansion? Well, we'll get on to it. Um, Mick is receiving up to around £25,000 a year in benefits. That's more than I make in a year now. I think that is kind of mad. I'm having a whole thing about wages in this country at the minute. I'm sure American listeners will hear that and be like, that's outrageously low. But like wages I mean, differ in various countries. Um, it is, that is also 2007 money. Yeah, yeah, fair. But like 25k at the minute is I've just got my master's degree and I'm looking at a starting salary of 25k and that, I think that's absolutely disgusting. Like it, the, the wages in this country are absolutely fucked, but that's just my little aside. But then people who are doing absolutely nothing can get in £25,000 a year. The, I, mm. I'm not going to name names, but I'm also familiar with um, a family and neither of them work and they have kids and dogs and stuff. And like genuinely they say there is absolutely no need for us to work because the second I get a job, I'm going to be making less money. Yeah, yeah. That's well, a flawed about, system. Know, it's a flawed system. There's a thing about universal credit and it's like if you're not going, you, you can only work a certain amount of hours before you lose your uh, universal credit. So some people are then like not enticed to work because they lose they lose out. They don't get as much money as you. you it's basically the same situation you just put it. Like if you get a job, you're going to get less money. It makes a mockery of the system because there's people that genuinely need these benefits through like disability, mental health, like whatever. People genuinely need these benefits to live and other people are just taking the absolute piss with it. Oh God, yeah, right. Well, th- this is what I'm saying. So um, what happened is in this era at this point, in fact, what I'll do is I'll carry on uh, for a little bit with the scripts because okay. we, I think it naturally gets to the the point that we're trying to talk about here. So as I was saying, they're receiving £25,000 a year in benefits and they really began to cause a stir when Mick began demanding the council give him a newer, larger home for his ever-growing family. Yep. Something the council was unwilling to grant him. Good. Not least because he had so many children that have to give him a mansion or a block of flats to himself to give them all a room. But there just simply wasn't a big enough home for the Philpots. Um, so, yeah, it's, it, it's at this point where Mick starts to now, he actually makes a television um, appearance. So, in fact, let me I'll carry on a little bit more. Um, if we hearken back to um, my episode on the disappearance of Shannon Matthews, do you remember that one? I do, yeah. Um, I mentioned how at the time of the disappearance, there was an influx of a genre called poverty porn, 
where people from poor families are put onto the TV screens as a weird form of entertainment, where we started to see shows like Benefit Street or the Jeremy Kyle show, just to name a couple. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and Mick was one of the first wave of, uh, was on the first wave of shows depicting the life of bums living in broken Britain. So Mick makes an appearance on This Morning, uh, which if you're not from the UK is just a television show mainly aimed at people that don't have a job and students. Um, uh, And on the show, he's appealing for a bigger home. Now, this led to him appearing on the Jeremy Kyle show in 2007 with the title of the show being, quote, father to 15, wife and girlfriend pregnant again. (laughs) I love them. They're great. For now, anyone the setup, know, Jeremy Carl is kind of Jerry Springer-esque. It's, it's yes. Yeah. Now, the setup was typical for the show. Uh, Mick, as the guest, comes onto stage, sits with Jeremy Kyle, talking a little bit about his story, how he has 15 kids, he's got another one on the way, he lives in a council house, and he needs a bigger one, and he can't work because he has a criminal record, disemboweling a child. Yeah. Um, it always starts off quite cordial, but inevitably, it divulges into a slagging off match where Jeremy Kyle berates Mick for not having a job and then constantly bringing children into the world when he isn't paying for them, expecting the British taxpayer to pay for him. Mm-hmm. And Mick uses the excuse of, quote, it's my life and I will live it the way I want. Now, it gets heated with Mick trying to square up to Jeremy. Now, if you've ever seen an episode of Jeremy Kyle, you'll know that Mick won't get very far when he tries to square up to Jeremy Kyle because Jeremy Kyle has bouncers on either side of the stage and they are surprisingly fast. They get (laughs) right in your face. Now, eventually, Maraid and Lisa make it onto the stage as well, where again, Jeremy asks them if their life is normal. Two women sharing one man. Now, polyamorous relationships can work and many people engage in them but this didn't look like it was one of consent and everyone could see that it looked like both women were being controlled by Mick and Jeremy was trying to get that into their heads but it didn't work the episode became one of the most watched for the time and gave Mick a sense of superiority he came home believing himself to be a celebrity now He kind of was, but for all the wrong reasons. He was known to be a benefit cheat, someone deliberately playing the system for his own ends. He became a poster boy for broken Britain. So, yeah, I think that's come to like a natural part as to what you were saying earlier, James, where like there are people that genuinely need the help and then there are people like Mick who absolutely abuse it. Hmm. But then how do you fix that this is the thing isn't it because you can't it's such a bit wide system taking it case by case would be really difficult and also you don't want to run the risk of doubting someone who genuinely does need it yeah um i don't know i don't think the criminal record thing should be an excuse at all i think you should be in a job center every day and looking for like placements and things for ex-criminals whether people would hire him based on what the fuck he did i don't know but yeah i mean he'd find something probably different now like uh lots of uh employment places like the the, the place where i work has a as a as a quite a, a good um uh system for getting people who have criminal records uh, and mm. even uh, been to prison and getting them work and it mm. works and they try to support them as best they can and i have seen it work so it can work 
Um, uh, having a criminal record should not necessarily be an excuse. No. Now, Mick wouldn't be away from the TV screens for long. He once again is seen on the TV show Anne Widdicombe versus the Benefit Culture. Ugh, I mean, I fucking hate Anne Widdicombe and also hate <laughs> these kind of programs. So, <laughs> Yes. Um, have you seen those TikToks of the guys being like, this is what every TV show was in the 2000s. And it's like, oh, I'm going to meet a fat man who can't yeah. stop eating butter. It was awful. People really got shut on. But there's, it's entertainment, isn't it? Like people want to see people whose life is worse than theirs just to feel better. That's it. It was poverty porn. It was like, I'm going to meet Chantel, who slept with, as you can see, every man in this shot. Yeah. <laughs> so there's there's right. that one about like that one guy who goes around and visits overweight families. He does not hold back. He calls yeah. them horrible things. Yeah. And that was the, that was TV for people in the in the uk like in the in the noughties it was mad we just yeah. like we're like oh yeah yeah this is fine um now he yeah like i say he appears on Anne widdicombe versus the benefit culture in mid 2007 now um as 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 uh as you've probably guessed by james's reaction the name Anne widdicombe is something to shudder at to any uk listener uh she was an mp for the conservative party who was to put it nicely rather old-fashioned with her conservative thoughts um, the irony She's just a fucking here. witch. Yes, yes, she is. Um, I, I dare anyone to just quickly Google Anne Widdicombe and you'll, you'll, you'll agree. She's like, she's about hip height. She's got a voice that goes right fucking through you. It does, doesn't it? And, oh, she is just the most obnoxious asshole. Yeah. Oh, I um, can't stand her. Can't fucking stand her. One of the main ironies about Anne Widdicombe is that she berates Mick when on the show... Uh, she berates him for having too many children um, whilst herself being an anti-abortionist. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, yeah, cool. But like, what am I to do apart from, you know, yeah. like use contraception, but say like, you know, it's not a thing for them or I don't know. She's like, you're having too many kids. And it's like, yeah, but as far as you're concerned, I'm not allowed to get rid of them. So <laughs> what do you do? Anyway, yeah. Anne, Anne spends a few days with the mix. Uh, with the fill pots, seeing what it's like to live on benefits. Now, you'd think that being on the screen he, and, and wanting a newer and bigger home, he would be on his best behaviour, but he's not. He acts as shamelessly as he did on the Jeremy Carl show. He gets shouty at Anne on camera and in one instance squares up to her in a pub and he's like, uh, oh, yeah, fucking, we'll, we'll take this outside. And it's like, right, this is a woman who's significantly older than you, a lot smaller than you, and you're on the camera and you're getting, you're squaring up to a woman in, in her face, like, on yeah, camera. Yeah, it's not a good look, is it? No, it's but not. But maybe if they could both, like, beat each other to death. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, as well, I should point out, Anne Widdicombe is a very strict religious Christian woman. Like, She's really, horrible. She's I'm not just saying vile. this out of some personal vendetta. She is a, a vile, vile human being, and I have no doubt she is extremely racist, homophobic. She fact, is just the worst, how, the absolute worst. How old is Anne Widdicombe? I need to find this I out. I don't like, know. Right I just now. every time she pops up on my screen, I fucking turn it off. She is oh no, <laughs> I can't I can't stand that woman. Okay, so Anne Widdicombe is 75 years old. Now, not that it's necessarily like you know something to berate or anything, but she's 75 years old. She's still a, a virgin for religious reasons. Um, I is, couldn't give a shit about that. But as, like... Is what she claims. Now, the comedian yeah. uh, Frankie Boyle. <laughs> It's it's harsh, but the comedian Frankie Boyle, known for being quite 
dark said that Anne Widdicom claims she's a virgin for religious reasons, that reason being she's incredibly fucking ugly. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I just... No, she stands for everything that I stand against. Mm. Yeah. I can't stand her. I I just, yeah, I wish her nothing but ill in her life. Is she, like I say, she's very religious. At one point she asks both of uh, Mick's, quote, wives... Like, how much income uh, do you bring in? What money do you bring in? Like, what money goes out? Um, what uh, Maraid goes, oh, God knows. Now, to us, that's just a, a throwaway sentence. But she went, mm. oh, God knows. And Anne went, yes, he probably does. But do you know? <laughs> it's like, all right, Anne. Oh, I'd, nah, I'd like, get out of my house. <laughs> it's like, come on, stop, get out. Anyway, anyway. Um, so like I say, he's getting shouty at Anne, right? He goes on uh, to say that he calls all women, quote, bitches, just they're all bitches in his mind women um mm. and, and and at one point talking to the camera he says that uh he was born with a dick between his legs and it wasn't made for just pissing in fact here is the actual words he uses uh quote i say you're born with a dick between your legs not just to pee out of so i'm gonna use it just say like for instance i went out and there's some nice young lady and she give me the eye and the come on and i knew she wanted it I'd oblige, because I'm a red-hot-blooded male at the end of the day. Even though my wife's listening right now, I'm not going to turn it down. Yeah, he's a dickhead. He's just vile. Just an absolute He's, a, he's an absolute dickhead. Man. But he's one of these people that like has, just thinks the world owes him something and that he's God's gift to the planet. And you don't... No, no one owes him anything. He's a prick. Well, more specifically, he thinks the UK government and British taxpayer owes him everything. Yeah, you you meet these sorts of people all the time, like all the time. They're all the people, obviously not to the extreme of him, hopefully, mm. uh, about what he's done and what he's going to do, but mm. like people that genuinely believe they are the dog's bollocks, um, when they're not. No. Now, um, to 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 be serious for a second, what the cameras did show was a cramped home. Now, remember there are eleven children and three adults living in this three-bedroom home. And they're all living on top of one another. Although Mick tends to spend his nights in a caravan outside or the conservatory around the back. Um, But as we were saying earlier, James, like it's one of those, yes, it's his fault for having too many kids. But how much do you think that the council need to, like how much sort of help do you think you need to do to provide them with this? Because it's not fair for the kids, surely. I think child protective services, don't give him what he wants, take the kids away and give them a better life. Mm, possibly possibly um now it what it also shows is a controlling man who is hell-bent on getting what he wants in fact there is a moment where he's seen on the phone to the council asking once again for a bigger home but is rejected and he immediately turns angry unable to hide his darker side the documentary then goes on to show mick saying quote one way or another i will get what i want this would be the moment if it was on if it was in like a, a documentary, it would be like that that would be the advert moment and it would go, uh, one way mm. or another, I would get what I want. Dun dun. And then it'd be like <laughs> Nick Philpot the story. Like that would be the moment. <laughs> yeah. Because it's foreshadowing. <laughs> Literally what is about to happen. Yeah. Now things weren't going so well for King Mick in the beginning of 2012. His relationship with Lisa was starting to break down. They were having more and more arguments, which in turn was causing a rift between Mick and Maraid. She always had suspected 
that he preferred Lisa to herself, and the fact that he was fighting for her seemed to confirm it. Now, eventually, it was too much for Lisa. In February of that year, Lisa told Murray that she was taking her kids to the local swimming pool. She left and never came back. In what must have seemed like deja vu for Mick, he was once again facing a custody battle for his kids with a woman he had abused to the point of running away. Hmm. Lisa had taken five of his children away. He was losing control. And for a psychopath like Mick, it was an unbearable feeling. He, at this point, had 18 children from four different women. A psychologist concluded that Mick never really cared about his children on an intrinsically fatherly way. Instead, he saw them all as miniature versions of himself. And that's why he would not harm them, because it would be the same as harming himself. But he would be damned if anyone would take them away from him. They were his possessions, and Lisa had taken five of them. Oh dear. So Mick devised a plan that would get his kids back and a bigger, newer home. <sighs> yeah. In, yep. in April of that year, Mick is driving a group of friends to a dance match when he receives a phone call from Maraid. He claims that someone had threatened Maraid, saying they would firebomb his house. He told his friends that this hadn't been the first time threats were made. The police were aware of several arguments between Lisa and Mick, but this was a clear escalation. A few weeks later, Mick claims that he received a text message from Lisa threatening to burn the house down. A family friend who was over at the time described how Mick was happy about this text, saying that he had her now, he was going to see her in court and he was going to get his kids back. It all sounds like he's trying to set something up. Yeah. You know how, um, <laughs> uh, I'm aware that people from work listen to this, but you know how some smart people, when they want to pull a sickie, they set it up correctly? You know? Yeah, of course. If you're going to pull a sickie, you plan it. Yeah, the day before, you're you like... Drop a couple of, yeah, you drop a couple of coughs, be like, oh, I'm not feeling too oh, great. Yeah. Do you want to go home? Nah, I'm fine. Like, no, I think I can make it to the end. Oh, God. And then, yeah. Or you'd be like, oh, I'm going, to, I'm going to a sushi house later tonight. I've never had sushi before. <laughs> yeah, you, you plant the seeds to harvest the crops at a later date. Yeah. What I used to do is I used to, if I really didn't want to work somewhere and I used to, like couldn't find a way to call in sick earlier, I used to go in. And then I'll spend like an hour or two kind of like half doing work, half sort of moping around, not making a big deal, but so people will be like, oh, he's not doing too great. And then you go to the toilet for 15, 20 minutes and then you come out and you just like, you go straight up to your manager or whatever and be like, look, I've just vomited. And at that point, especially if you're working in hospitality, they have to send you home <laughs> because you've, you've ex- like bodily fluids and fluids and stuff. I, when I worked at a nightclub, I did that all the fucking time. <laughs> That's genius. Um, but yeah, no, it just sounds like he's trying to set something up like he's creating a narrative before anything happens. In fact, mm. just a week before his house would go up in flames, he was at the school telling other parents that his kids would be back with him and in school within the week. So confident yeah. was he that he would get them back from Lisa. Which leads us to the beginning of our story. In the wee hours of May the 11th, Mick has his friend Paul Mosley over to play billiards and have sex with his wife, Maraid. Paul leaves at 1.30am. Mick and Maraid go to sleep in their conservatory. I'm so sorry, that sentence was so weird, because you said you, he had his friend over to have sex with Maraid. It just sounded... Yes, yes, that is it. Yeah. 
Oh, you weren't. Oh, he literally had his friend over to have sex well, with his. Oh, he right. Had his okay. friend over to uh, assist in some things, but uh, whilst there, uh, they played billiards, and uh, he allowed uh, his friend to service Maraid as well as himself. So they both took turns having sex with Maraid. Okay, so it wasn't a, a poorly structured sentence. It was a, a, he had sex with. Okay, carry <laughs> I, on. Sorry for interrupting. I know what I said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So at about 1.30 after Paul leaves, Mick and Murray go to sleep in their conservatory. They're soon awakened by the smoke alarm going off, alerting, to their, alerting them to the fact that their house is on fire. They try to get upstairs to the kids but are unable to since the fire at the door was blocking the stairs. They try to get the kids from the back windows but their bedrooms um, where the ladder is, they can't get to them because of the smoke. And it's here where Jamie and Darren show up and try to help. Now, once the fire is out, the investigation begins. Lisa is, as Mick would have liked, an immediate uh, suspect, but is quickly ruled out. Instead, the police very quickly consider that the fire came from within the house. Mick and Maraid are soon arrested. While holed up in a police van, they are recorded without them knowing, and Mick is heard saying to Maraid, quote, Are you definitely sticking to your story? Idiots. Yep. That audio had them both banged to rights. So what actually happened? What was the actual plan? It's simple, really. Using petrol as an accelerant, Mick would set a small fire at the front of the house, behind the door in the early hours of the morning. He would then rescue the kids from their bedrooms at the back of the house using the ladder that he had placed against the wall. He would then lay the blame at the foot of his ex-mistress, Lisa, who would then be put in jail and Mick would get his kids back along with a new home for them all to live in. It's a, it's, a, it's the master plan. It is a master plan. I feel like it should finish with and then go to the Winchester to wait for it to all blow over. Yeah. I mean, in his head, you can see how that works. Yes, but that's because he's an idiot. Yeah. yeah. But it obviously didn't go that way. The fire got out of control far quicker than they had expected. Now, I looked this up. So what happens when you use petrol? Exactly. Petrol is a very good accelerant of fire. But also, um, the way the house was laid out, so you open the front door and immediately in front of you are the stairs that go up uh, to the top, right? And on your uh-huh. left is the door to the living room. But what yeah. happens apparently in house fires, when it get, when a fire gets to the stairs, because um, there's, like a, there's like a massive like gap between the ceiling right at the top of the house and then where the stairs are, it basically becomes yeah. a big vacuum and it, all that air is perfect fuel for the fire. So right. without obviously knowing that, he set the fire right at the bottom of the stairs and it's just gone fucking mental well quick. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they tried to get the kids out of the house, right? But they couldn't. Their children died from sheer vindictiveness and greed. Hmm. Now, the sympathy for Mick immediately disappeared. He was finally outed nationally as the monster he truly was. For Maraid, there were mixed feelings. Many didn't feel anything for her since she was involved. Others saw her as a victim of Mick, who had no choice but to go along with the plan and tragically lost six of her children in the process. Now, to put my two cents in on the matter, I think Maraid is a victim despite the fact that she is involved in the mur- in the death of six of her children. 
I think hmm. she was involved in a horrific plan and for that she ought to be punished, but I do not believe that she wanted to see her kids die. I no. think that a vulnerable 19-year-old met a man who promised her the world, got stuck with him for just over a decade and didn't think she could have anything else. Mick was a control freak and a known abuser. I don't think she really had a choice over what happened. Should she be punished? Yes, of course. In the same way that anyone is punished for an accidental death. I just don't think there was the same level of intent. No, I would, I would agree. I also think she's a victim. A victim that led to a horrific outcome, but still a victim. Yeah. Now, for Mick, that's different. While he may not have had the intention of killing his kids, and that's undoubtedly true. He did not obviously intend mm -hmm. to kill his kids. It's just a, 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 an unfortunate accident. He was more than happy to put them in harm's way so that he might get something out of it. Yeah. Now, during the trial, Mick's previous conviction was not allowed to be brought into court. You know, the one where he nearly disemboweled a teenager. Mm -hmm. So the jury had no idea that he had previously been sentenced for attempted murder. That did not do anything to help Mick's case, though. The audio of him and Maraid talking in the police van was damning enough. Then came out Mick's sadistic sexual fantasies. He had written a letter to a friend whilst in prison talking about his dogging experiences with Maraid, uh, the threesomes that they had had, and how when they eventually get out of prison, he wanted to have sex with Maraid over the graves of his children and would in fact let his friend join in if he wanted to. What the fuck, man? Yeah. Just when you think this story's over, it just keeps fucking going. He's going to have sex on the graves of his children, the ones that he killed. Yeah. I know. Crazy, isn't it? He's got like rape fantasies as well. In fact, quite a few of his neighbours nah. claimed that he would have he uh, may have raped them instead when having mm. sex and stuff. Like it's never ever let this man see the light of day again. Nah, nah. So in fact, uh, in 2013, Mick is classified as a textbook psychopath, and is found guilty of six counts of manslaughter for his six children. He's mm -hmm. sentenced to life in prison with a minimum term of 15 years right which uh so what 2013 so 2029 he's eligible for parole i think hopefully they just laugh him out the door hopefully Maraid and paul mosley are also convicted both of manslaughter and sentenced to 17 years in prison now hmm. paul mosley the friend who helped out uh he was released on parole in may 2021 having served okay. half of his time, but he has since been recalled to prison for breaching his parole terms. Ages. Yeah. Maraid was released from prison in late 2020 and placed in a hostel, given a new identity and is now said to be living somewhere down south. She has been spotted mm. a few times, but has mostly been left alone. Mick Philpot got what he wanted. He has a new home. Still in prison, now age 66, he continues to proclaim his innocence, but nobody listens. He's been spending a lot of his time learning the guitar, with one source saying he will get quite good at it since he has so much time to learn it. <laughs> and a, a news story about him made the rounds some time ago when he had a brand new set of teeth fitted since all of his had rotten away from years of neglect. Mick continues to live as he always has done, at the cost of the taxpayer. There is no word of him getting out soon. 
And that is the story of Mick Philpot. That's a mad story. When you've told me Mick Philpot, first of all, I was like, who's that? And then it suddenly like clocks. I was like, okay, he's the man who burnt down his house and his kids died. Yeah. But I, I didn't know any of the other stuff. That's pretty mad. This man's had a a life. Yeah, uh, yeah. Not a good one. <laughs> it's so grim. I'm kind of happy that Mairead is... Um, kind of got a new identity and is hopefully going to make something of herself wherever she is. Well, it's interesting because like I say, um, people have mixed feelings about Maraid. Um, uh, some people just think she's a child killer. Um, and, and, and some like me think, yes, she's a victim and she got caught up in a horrendous thing. Um, mm. I don't know. I haven't spoke to her obviously, so I don't she, know. She was part of a plan that got ki- children killed, but like she was in a domestic abusive relationship and that's fucking difficult to get out of i'm speaking from someone who's never been in one but it's it's, it's hard and you i don't know she she's a victim she i i, I like to think she wouldn't have wanted this mm. and mick would yeah, have done that, it regardless surely even if she said no he was going to do it because that's just who he is that's it and and we don't know how much you know how much she knew about the plan did mix like was mick saying no the kids have to be in the house did she ever say no, I don't want him to be in the house or whatever. We don't, I don't know. So, yeah, yeah. it's just she was very unfortunate in ever meeting him. Very unfortunate for meeting him. But yeah, that's the uh, that's the story of uh, the Philpots, Mick Philpot and the uh, the tragic death of his six children. That's a wild story. I know. I, I think it's quite poetic in a way that he still, even today, for the rest of his life, will live at the cost of the British taxpayer. That was what he always wanted. And as you said, he got his new home. Probably not the one he wanted, but he's got more than sixteen rooms. He got he got a smaller home. Yeah, I'm I I, as a child killer as well. I imagine prison's not a nice time for him. No, I imagine not. Yeah, I don't think he's having the best time in prison. But he he apparently has put on quite a lot of weight. Oh really? So he's eating very well. Yeah, apparently he eats a lot of sweets, which is uh, what helped him lose all of his teeth. Brush your teeth, Mick. Yeah, well, that's the thing. He doesn't want to buy a toothbrush. He expects it to be very given to him. What a fucking waste of a life. I know, I know. So, yeah, it's one of those stories that I I remembered uh, hearing about. And I was like, oh, I've got to do this one. And then the more I looked into it, I was like, bloody hell, this goes a bit deep. Yeah, that's a, it's a wild old story, that. Mm. All right, well, um, uh, do I say I hope you enjoyed that episode? I'm not sure. I'm sure we've said that after some horrific stuff before. I hope you, hope you found it interesting. Yeah, there's lots of people that enjoy this stuff, so uh, I'm one of yeah, them. Yeah, they fucking live uh, for it, don't you, fucking weirdos? Yeah. So, yeah, I, I hope you enjoyed that uh, episode and you've found out some weird shit about some, like, the UK has got some interesting crimes uh, and some weird people. Hmm. So, yeah, I hope you enjoyed that. Um, where have I got to go with this? Um, next episode will be whatever it happens. I don't, I don't suppose you have no any idea what you want to do next. Uh, no, Ryan, I don't have a fucking clue. <laughs> I always feel guilty asking you that. <laughs> sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. Always ask because you never know. I might surprise you, but no, I don't have a clue, I'm afraid. It'll be yeah. someone bad, I suppose. Oh, uh, just a quick update. Um, if anyone follows my personal Instagram page, um, mm. feel free to ignore me. Unfollow me. In fact, re- report my account. Let's try and get it deleted. My Instagram account, my personal account anyway, has been hacked. Uh, apparently i'm a crypto bro whose career in crypto has got so bad i'm setting up a mental health group chat um so if i message you about anything like that please ignore it report the account and try and delete it because uh it's not me so i will be creating a new 
uh, Instagram account at some point soon. <laughs> Very good. Um, yeah. So yes, if you would like to support the show, of course, you can always do so. Um, we have done uh, fantastically well already. We mentioned before how uh, we've recently paid off our distributor um, and we are in need to, again, create funds to pay for it again the next time the payment comes around. And already we've been receiving significant donations and we've been having a few people purchase merch on the store. Um, uh, so already that money is going towards the distributor so yes keep it going guys thank you so much for your support we really do appreciate it every penny uh is is amazing um and yeah i think that's everything very good all right all right well i suppose we will see you on the next episode goodbye bye-bye